Hi, uh, my name's Joe, and we're, the second Bible reading is from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 to 19, uh, which is on page 1,255 of the Pew Bible, so on the screen behind me. Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house, if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did, this is why I was angry with that generation and I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. This is God's word. Thank you, Joanne. And thank you, Jenny, for leading us in prayer so well. Well, happy Father's Day. Uh, it's interesting to hear what happens on Father's Day for us dads. Um, uh, it wasn't, in fact, this morning when I first heard Father say Happy Father's Day. It was, in fact, from two of our kids. Late last night, they waited after 12 p.m. Not sure why they were up so late, but they came to my office and said, Happy Father's Day. And I said, Go to bed. <laughs> I gave them a hug first. But, um, uh, well, Happy Father's Day. Let's uh, pray and we'll consider this passage. Keep your Bibles open to Hebrews 3. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this part of Scripture that keeps us to have our eyes fixed on Jesus, and we pray that today you'll help us do just that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when you consider the span of each of our lives, if what the Bible says is true, which is, of course, what we do believe, then our life is linear. We have a beginning. We come into this world, and we have an end when we will face God in judgment, whether we like it or not. And that time when we face God, there will be heaven and there will be hell. There will be the chance to be in the presence of God for all eternity or cast out away from God for all eternity. And so what that means then is if you think of our life as, as a span, as a linear span, beginning and end, it means then that our life can be described like a pilgrimage. It's like an adventure. It's like a journey with twists and turns, with Detours and diversions, rocky roads, smooth paths, mountaintop experiences, 
The Deepest, Darkest Valleys, and a wonderful book, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, that allegorizes what the Christian life is like, was won by the famous John Bunyan, The the Pilgrim's Progress. Now, perhaps just to get an idea, just to gauge, anyone heard of that book, The Pilgrim's Progress? Yeah, most of the hands. Anyone read it? Same hands? Less? Or at least watch the movie about it. There are movies, animations about this story. In fact, just watch it this past week as I was preparing uh, for this talk. Now, this book, for about the 200 years since its publication, it ranked only behind the Bible, the King James Version, as considered being most important and common amongst at least Christians. It's a book that's been translated to over 200 languages, and it's never been out of print, and so it's a book that is worth reading. Now, in this book, John Bunyan, he masterfully tells the story of Christian, the main character of this book. Christian, he hears the Bible, he hears the gospel, he reads it, and he gets so excited about what this king speaks of, the the celestial city, the city, the everlasting kingdom, the place of eternal life, the place of glory where there will be crowns of glory, the place where there will be no more weeping or crying or sorrow or pain. It is this place where people can be with the king in the celestial city forever and ever. And so he gets so excited about hearing the gospel. And so the book then is the, the adventure of Christian, his journey, his pilgrimage through the treacherous journey of life, getting from the city of destruction, the place of misery, and then ended up ending up at the city, the celestial city, the city of gold. And along the way, if you know this story, he faces trials and tribulations and temptations and setbacks, and he takes the wrong path, and and he comes back onto the right path. And he faces different characters in this story. It's an allegory of the Christian life. He faces the deceiver. He faces Beelzebub. He faces the destroyer, the the great despair. And he faced many others who helped him along the way. It's really just a brilliant story, how he gets from one city to the city of God, to the celestial city. And it's meant to be an allegory of our lives, of the Christian walk, the Christian journey, a pilgrimage. And when you read this story, you're left asking, will I be like Christian in this story and make it to the celestial city? Will we all get there in the end so that no one is lost along the way? No one goes off track and falls away and goes astray and not make it to the celestial city. And you read this story as I was reading and thinking about it. It left me wondering, I wonder whether some of us will get there and then we're looking around and we're wondering, well, was everyone else? house? Where is everyone else who were at St. Stephen's? We were at church together. We were at church together for several years. Our kids went to the same classes in kids' church, in youth group. We went to the same. Where's everyone else from St. Stephen's? And so it makes you wonder as you think about our journey, our adventure in life, will we all make it there in the end? It's why this passage in Hebrews is so helpful for us. It's so helpful because here we learn the example of faithfulness. What will it take to get there? The exemplar of faithfulness. And we also learn examples of faithlessness. So two simple points. 
And so the first one, the exemplar of faithfulness, faithfulness par excellence, and that is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because if you think about the life of Jesus, what he did, he came from heaven to earth. He's the great, the grand example of being faithful. And that's why the author of Hebrews here, what does he do? He gets us to fix our eyes on Jesus, to set our minds on Jesus, and to focus our hearts on Jesus. That is how you get there in the end. I mean, it's all about Jesus. It's like in the story of the Pilgrim's Progress. Towards the beginning, when Christian, he was burdened by learning of his sins and his guilt, he meets another character called the Evangelist. And the Evangelist says to Christian, you see that shining light at the distance. Keep your eyes on it and walk towards it. Don't, don't go astray. Just keep your eyes on that light and go directly to it. And in one sense, the author of Hebrews in this chapter is saying to us, well, keep your eyes on Jesus. Stay focused on him. That's how you get to the celestial city. That's how you make it in the end. And so that's what we see. If you have a look, chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, there's your identity, brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, there's your destination, the celestial city. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Now, do you notice how Jesus was called? What he was called, what he was known as. He's called the apostle. Now, does that sound a bit strange for Jesus to be called the apostle? Well, the word apostle just simply means the one who is sent. And Jesus is the supreme one who is sent. Sent from God himself, from heaven to earth. He was sent, in fact, into this world to be just like us in our humanity. He is, in a sense, the chief apostle. He is God with us. But he's also called here the high priest. He's the chief high priest because he now represents us back to God. And so not just God to us, but us to God. And if you just try to conceptualize that, apostle and high priest, it in fact just makes sense. If God is far high and mighty and we are earthbound and lowly, how can there be any connection between us and God, any relationship between us and God, any fellowship at all between us and God? Well, what you require is one who is both man and God. And so he is the apostle and high priest whom we confess. And why are we to fix our eyes on him? Well, he's the exemplar of faithfulness. I mean, you think about the life of Jesus there is the life of a man of faith. Jesus was a man of faith himself. You consider all that he's gone through. He had to utterly trust his father every step of the way. I mean, you think about the story of the temptation in the desert for 40 days, tempted by the devil. I mean, it would have been so easy for us if we were in that situation to just give in. You know, day two or day five, day 10 maybe. Maybe some of us might make it to day 20. But Jesus remained faithful. He trusted his father. He resisted the devil. Or when Jesus was accused and mocked and ridiculed by the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. I mean, you, you think about us. How easy would it be for us if we're ridiculed, if we're placed in such a situation, we'll just succumb. We, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't stand up. I mean, how many of us 
so easily give in to the pressures of our society. What they say, will say. What they think, will think. Well, here's a question for you. How many of us in our workplace or in our schools were, in fact, secret Christians? No one knows we follow Christ. No one, in fact, knows we're a Christian at all. It's so easy to be afraid, but Jesus, he did not give in to any pressure. He remained faithful to his Father. Or in the story of the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus, with sweats of blood, he cries to his Father, take this cup away from me. I mean, it was very easy if we're in such a situation, I'd rather have my will be done at this point. But Jesus prays, not my will, but your will be done. Or on the cross, think about that moment when Jesus was spat upon, when he was slapped, when he was beaten, whipped, crucified. I mean, imagine if you were there hanging on the cross. You had all the powers in the world. You could just click your finger and everyone there would have been destroyed in a moment, in an instant. Wouldn't it be so easy to just be tempted to do that and come off the cross? But what did Jesus do? He didn't retaliate. He remained faithful to his father, even to the point of death, because he knew it was in his death he would bear our sins. He would take on the wrath of God. And so that's why we're told here by this author, verse 2. He was faithful. Do you see it? He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in God's house. Now at this point, if we're following along with this logic, the author now compares Jesus and Moses. And that's because to the original recipients, Jewish Christians, Moses was held up as their great hero. You're a Jew? Well, he's your hero, Moses. He's the one. He's the one who led the people out of slavery. He's a great hero. In fact, he's described in Deuteronomy 34. No prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And so Moses was special. He's a hero. And so for the Jew, you fix your eyes on Moses. And so the temptation then for the Jewish Christians was to revert back to that to have their eyes just solely on Moses and not Jesus. But that's why this author makes so clear. You have to keep your eyes on Jesus. Moses was great. He was wonderful. But fix your eyes on Jesus. And he makes a point here, verse 3 now. Jesus is worthy of a greater honor. Moses was great for sure, but Jesus is better. Just as in chapter 1, Jesus is superior to the angels. He is superior to Moses. Moses is just a member of the household. Jesus is, is the Lord of the household. He's the son. Moses is in the house. Jesus built the house. He's superior in every way. And if you think about the, the message of the book of Hebrews, it's going to be hard going over this next term as we work through this book. However, the message is simple. And that is, you stick with Jesus and you'll be right. That's the message of Hebrews. Stick with Jesus and you'll be right. Move away from Jesus, and there is no salvation at all. In fact, we're told him Moses not only looked forward to Jesus, that was his whole part of his whole point. He was waiting, he was looking after the household of God until the heir arrived. And so have a look at verses 5 and 6 now. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house. He did a great job. But his job was to look forward. And so we see verse 5, testifying 
to what will be said in the future. He was preparing the way for, for the, the sun to come, for the air to come. And so Christ is a faithful, is faithful as son over God's house, we read. Christ is the exemplar of faithfulness. Why keep your eyes on Jesus? Well, there's a model, well, there's a pattern of being faithful to God. But also, Jesus is the object of our faith. Our eyes are to be on him, not Moses. Verse 6, and we are his house. That means we belong to him. We're part of his family. We're called his brothers and sisters. If we're told, verse 6, if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. And so the message is simple. Hold on to Jesus. He is the hope. Look to him. Have your eyes fixed on him. Now, now I suspect we understand that for many of us. We, we come to church. We've been at church for some of us for many years. We've been a Christian for many years. We understand that. We know it in our minds. But what does it mean in our hearts? Well, what does it mean to fix our eyes on Jesus? To see him as the example of faithfulness. To have our faith in him alone. It's really like that hymn we just sang before. It was wonderful. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I mean, you look at Jesus. He's the glory and everything else is put into perspective. It will grow dim. It means then that every day, what is it we need to remind ourselves so that we stay on the path? Like Christians, stay on the path, on the straight and narrow. Don't detour. Don't get off track. How? Well, we remind ourselves today, who is my saviour today? Well, my saviour cannot be me. I cannot save myself. It cannot be anyone else. Jesus is still my saviour. Today, who is my Lord today? Well, I better not be the Lord of my own life because I'll fail miserably. I should not submit to just anyone. Jesus is still my Lord. In our household, every once in a while, we'll have our family chats together, often at dinner time or in the evenings. And every once in a while, I'll feel that sense, well, I better say something wise that is important and weighty for our kids to hear. Once in a while, I'll get that sense, I better say something worth listening to. And I've said this numerous times. I'll say to the kids, depending on what we've been learning or reading, when you grow, kids, you're young now, things are fine and good. As you grow, you'll face more trials. There'll be difficult seasons that will come. But remember this. Remember this. Always stick with Jesus. Never go astray. Never forsake him. Always stick to Jesus. It's a simple message. And so in moments when I feel like I need to sound profound in some ways, stick with Jesus. Because what's the alternative? Well, that is the rest of this chapter. It's the example of faithlessness, that is, don't be like them. And it is interesting because the author here quotes from Psalm 95. It was a psalm that was commonly used in, in the synagogue worship on the Sabbath. The psalm begins in verse 1, calling to worship, verse 1 of Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. And then by verse 7, which is quoted here in Hebrews 3. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion, 
during the time of testing in the desert. Now, why? Why was it necessary when the people of God were gathered on the Sabbath, it was important for them to be reminded of this psalm? Why? Just like now in our church. Well, the message is simple. Remember your past and don't be like them. Remember your ancestors and don't be like them. Be like Jesus, focus on Jesus, don't be like them. Because you see, the generation who witnessed the power and the glory of God, it was that generation, the generation that left Egypt, they saw the ten plagues. They saw the splitting of the Red Sea. They saw how manna appeared from heaven on the ground every day. It's a miracle. They saw how water flowed from a rock. They were the generation that should have believed. They witnessed it all. But what were they like? Well, you would expect them to be the most faithful generation after they saw the power of God. And not only that, they saw the glory of God, the thunderous appearing, the presence of God at Mount Sinai. But what did they do? They whinged and whined and complained and grumbled. They would rather go back to Egypt and die there than have life and be with God. They would rather die in Egypt than to find life in the promised land. They would rather go under the, the yoke of slavery than to be free with God. And over and over again, you read, we did Exodus earlier this year. They whinged, they grumbled, they tested God. In fact, they tested God's patience for 40 years. And how did God respond? Well, look at verses 10 to 12. And these verses are meant to be frightening. Verses 10 to 12. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray. And they have not known my ways. So I decided on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. I mean, you see how frightening those words are. They, you, shall never enter my rest. You will not get in. You will not be like Christian and you'll make it to the celestial city. You'll go astray, you'll fall, you'll die. They missed out. They missed out on God's rest. And that's not simply physical rest of getting to the promised land. It's in fact the rest that God himself enjoyed. You know the story of creation? After God created the, the world in six days on the seventh, God rested from all his work. He said it was very good. God rested is to enjoy the rest that God enjoyed. It's all done. Now I can enjoy it all. And so it's a spiritual rest to be able to be in God's presence, to know of God's joy, to be accepted, to be welcomed, to not ever be cast away, to find peace, to find security. It's a rest where I don't have to work for anything to earn God's love. It's a rest where I don't need to work or earn or do anything at all to know that God cares for me because I have it all already. It's been given already. It's a rest that points ultimately to that celestial city in Pilgrim's Progress. It's the glory of heaven. And to that generation that saw the power of God, they missed out. You see how tragic it was, especially for them. And so the message is pretty simple, isn't it? Don't be like them, because it can happen. Don't be like them. They're the ones who should have made it. But they rebelled. 
God was angry with them. And they didn't enter. Why? Because of unbelief. Not merely of sinning, but because of unbelief. I mean, it makes you think, doesn't it? If in Melbourne today, we were to see 10 plagues of God upon Melbourne, we were to see the splitting of the Yarra River, you know, a miracle, power of God, it would not guarantee belief at all in Melbourne. I mean, just look at their example. And that's why the warning is here. Look at verse 12. See to it, brothers, that is, watch out, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, do you notice how unbelief is described there by the author of Hebrews? It may come as a shock. I mean, we hear it often enough amongst our world, our society, our friends, our family. I don't believe in God. I'm agnostic. I'm not sure. I'm an atheist. Oh, I believe other things. But, but do you notice? It's not morally neutral. It's in fact sinful to have an unbelieving heart, especially if you've seen the power of God, especially if you come to know who God is. Now, this may sound a bit extraordinary, but how we think about God and how we relate to God, it is a moral thing. It is not morally neutral. It's not as though, okay, you guys get to choose to believe, you guys choose unbelief, and they're both neutral, they're both not at all. It's not morally neutral because how we relate to God shows us what we think about God. You see, if I don't believe God, what does that say about my heart? It's not just a matter of reason and science. It's, in fact, a matter of the heart. It is calling into question God's trustworthiness. It's saying to God, you can't be trusted. I don't believe you because you can't be trusted. And God will not have it. And that's why that generation is set up as an example. Don't be like them. Because how tragic would it be for any other generation to be like them? And so the message, don't be like them. In the story of Pilgrim's Progress, early on in Christian's journey, he meets two characters, obstinate and pliable. If you know the story, you'll be familiar with this. Obstinate, he's, he's just stubborn. He's a bit disgusted by what Christian was teaching. And so he heard it and thought, this is all nonsense. The celestial city, you're, you're, you're a bit nuts. And I wonder whether some of us are a bit like obstinate today. We hear it, but what do you mean, heaven and hell? Well, what do you mean that Jesus is the only way? That's all nonsense. Well, we need to heed this warning, verse 12. Brothers, sisters... See to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. And then Christian met this other character, pliable, that is, he's malleable, he'll be here or there. He was initially very excited by this message of Christian about the celestial city. And so initially he followed along until trouble, until he forced him into the slough of despond, the swamp of despondency. He gets stuck in the mud and he gets mad, he gets angry. And when he finally escaped, he went home to the city of destruction. And I wonder whether some of us might be a bit like pliable. You know, we're here or there. We're not really set. We're malleable. I will continue to believe as long as life is easy and good. As long as God treats me well. 
But as soon as trouble hits, I'm out of here. I mean, we need to heed this warning too. Brothers and sisters, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. Instead, what are we to do? We were told here in verse 13, encourage one another. Look at verse 13. But encourage. Now that word is an important word, encourage. It's a strong word. It's like the strong word of a confident call of the captain before the battle, calling his soldiers, get ready. It's the call of the commander putting strength into these soldiers, encourage. And so verse 13 again. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. Now that's interesting. As long as it is called today, which means because it is still today, there is still a chance. It's not too late. You can turn back. And so we come back to verse 13. As long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And so how do we make it today? And how do we make sure every single one of us will see each other at the celestial city? I mean, there's something important, isn't it, about encouraging one another. Why is it that for some, our faith will grow cold and it'll fizzle out? Why is it? We see that, don't we? We see that amongst those we know and love. Why is it that our faith sometimes grow cold and sometimes it just fizzles out? Well, if I stop attending church, if I stop being amongst brothers and sisters in the Lord, the fellowship of believers, it just gets easier and easier each time I stay away. I'm sure many of us know that from experience. I'll stay away one week, it gets easier the second week, the third week, and there will be many other reasons why. And then we left asking, I wonder why I'm not so zealous about the things of God like I used to be. I remember years ago in the youth group I attended this, in fact, decades ago. It was a small youth group. One of us in our youth group, whose parents uh, I knew, used to come to our church but stop attending for a few years when we were teenagers. That set of parents, very happy for her daughter to go along to church, very happy. And I still remember this friend sharing with me, her saying that her parents said to her, one day, I used, we used to go to church, we used to be fervent just like you. But one day you'll grow out of this Christian stuff. And unfortunately for this friend, as far as I know, it became true. But it's why one of the important things for us to stay on the path, just like in the story of the Pilgrim's Progress, Christian had companions along the way to keep him on the straight and narrow. It's why it's important what this, this author is saying. To keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, but we need each other to get there. Remember the example of faithfulness and faithlessness. And now the whole thrust of this passage is getting to verse 14. Here's the summary. Verse 14. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. We hold firmly till the end. Not hold firmly for the first part of our Christian walk, for the first year, two years. Not hold firmly until we just get to halfway. Not hold firmly until we feel like we're retired and life is good. But to the end, 
our eyes fixed on Jesus, our minds set on him, and our hearts focused on him. You see, that was the lesson that John Bunyan himself had to learn, the author of The Pilgrim's Progress. You see, The Pilgrim's Progress was, in a sense, his own story. The journey for John Bunyan himself was a treacherous one. He was born in 1628. He was a tinker's son. Tinker's just means someone who works with his hands. He he was uneducated, a trader. He was like, you know, the, the battler. Well, for John Bunyan, after becoming a Christian in Bedford in 1651, his life was changed. By that time, he was married, had four children. His first child, Mary, was born, born blind. I mean, you talk about the trials of life, having your first child born blind. And so you can see how the Pilgrim's Progress was really a reflection of his own struggles. By 1655, he started to preach in various churches and congregations in Bedford. Hundreds came to listen to him. Even John Owen, the great professor, the great theologian, when they asked John Owen, why would you, with such learning, go to listen to a tinker preach? John Owen said, I would gladly exchange all my learning for Bunyan's power of touching men's hearts. And then by 1658, his wife died. Another trial. So you can just picture the journey, the adventure of life. He's got detours. He, he falls into the mud. Another trial. His wife died in 1658. A year later, he married Elizabeth. Then shortly after his marriage to Elizabeth, he was arrested, imprisoned for 12 years. And why was he in prison? He was in prison for preaching, for preaching without official permission from the king, refusing to conform to the Church of England. His new wife, Elizabeth, she was pregnant, in fact, when Bunyan was arrested. And she subsequently gave birth prematurely to a stillborn child. There you go. Another child on his adventure to get to the celestial city. And so she was outside prison caring for the other four kids while Bunyan was locked up. But it was during those 12 years that Bunyan wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. George Whitfield said of the story of The Pilgrim's Progress, it smells of the prison that Bunyan was in. It meant that he understood this passage, didn't he? How do you make it to the end? Have your eyes fixed on Jesus. He understood this passage. What was it that helped him press on to not fall away, to not disown Christ, to not stop preaching? Was it not something like this passage? Your eyes fixed on Jesus. In fact, he said, he said his aim was not to run a little now and then by fits and starts or halfway or almost thither, but to run for my life, to run through all the difficulties and to continue therein to the end of the race, which must be to the end of my life. All the way to the end. I mean, the Christian life is rewarding, but it's strenuous. And he got it right. He understood this passage. Look to Jesus. Learn from the example of those who are unfaithful and don't be like them. Spurgeon, in fact, said of Bunyan, you... You prick Bunyan, and he bleeds the Bible. It's so saturated with Scripture, the story of the Pilgrim's Progress. 
And so how do we make sure then? I mean, how many of us are here this morning? There are over 200 of us. How do we make sure that not one soul is missing when we get to the celestial city, to heaven? How? We hold firmly till the end. Not for the next year, not for the next five years, but till the end. And perhaps in the providence of God, you heard Margaret share of this wonderful biography, the list of biographies in this book. The race marked out. I mean, they are words from Hebrews 12. I mean, we've got the example of Bunyan. The pilgrim's progress. But we've got wonderful examples from within our church family. The cloud of witness, like what we heard Pete share before. I mean, it's been a while for this to come, and I was so thrilled to read it. Wonderful work of the Keras team. So a big thanks to the Keras team. Wonderful work. But how do we encourage each other to stay fixed on Jesus? We, in fact, need each other. We, in fact, learn from each other. And we learn from the saints who are before us and beyond us. We learn, in fact, from this book. I've been so thrilled to read it. We learn from the saints who are way, way older than me, far wiser than me. And let me share with you some in here. I mean, you can, I can share from all of them, but I'll just pick a few. One, advice to young people. Advice to young people. I'll include in myself in this category. I'd advise they soak themselves not only in the scriptures, but how they apply to living as Christians. Soak yourself in the scriptures and live it out. Make sure it's consistent. In fact, I visited this, this member of ours this past week. We had a wonderful time together. Wonderful, encouraging time together. But I asked him, knowing that this passage is coming up, I asked, how have you persevered through all those years? Were there trials in your life that, would, that tempted you to fall away? He shared of a big trial during his 20s. But I asked him, how do you persevere? I mean, you're an old man. You're double my age. How have you persevered and pressed on? And what he said should really be no surprise. No surprise. He had his own trials. But what is it? We all know this. Constant prayer every day. Saturated with the word of God. Because there are so many voices, so many opinions out there. Who do we listen to? We listen to God. And staying in communion and fellowship with the people of God. You stop one of those and something will go wrong. And it'll be like Christian in the story. He'll fall off track. He'll fall into the slough of despond or try to take the shortcut. Those three. Let me read to you another one from one of our members. This one said, I think it's so encouraging that the Lord is coming back and one day he's taking me fully to himself as he will or his own. Christ is everything. Isn't that exactly what we hear from this passage? Our eyes fixed on Jesus? Let me share with you one more. At this stage of my life, I'm looking forward to heaven. I wonder what it's like. Whenever I'm admitted to hospital, I think I won't come out this time. But I'm looking forward to heaven, and dying doesn't frighten me at all. I mean, how can you say that? Unless your hope is so full of Christ, unless you are so certain that the celestial city is your home. And so how do we make sure? We'll all end there. 
hold firmly to Jesus to the very end. And what we'll find is that, in fact, it was Jesus who was holding us all along. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your kindness and mercy, in the provision of your Son, the great apostle, the great high priest, we can have certainty that we can make it to the end if we hold firmly to him, trust in him, and follow his example. We pray, Lord, that we will do that, that none of us here will be lost. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.